Hi, welcome to the Sermon Diaries, episode three. Today I'm here with Sister Jackie Jean Marie Gatonga. Um, today we are interviewing her and just how she got to be where she is, um, how the Lord has guided her. She is a daughter of St. Paul and she is here to tell us her story. Mm-hmm. Welcome, Sister Jackie. Thanks so much, Ben. It's such a joy to be with you and all those who will be listening. It's. Um... You know, our, our stories are all sacred, and it's just beautiful to just look back and share my story because God has obviously been in every part of it. And of course, even when I never thought He was, He really was. And just to be able to sit with you and just share that, I, I just pray that it blesses not only all those who listen, but that it glorifies God. Because really, the reason why He created us is that we glorify Him, you know. Right. So, yeah. Okay, well, um, I'm going to ask that you open us up in prayer, and then we can get started. Sure. All right. Why don't we pray? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and and the Holy Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Jesus, we thank you for coming into our lives, for the many ways that you work in us, even when we are unaware of what you're doing. You are always our good shepherd, guiding us always into your heart. As we spend this time in prayer, reflection, and sharing, We ask that you pour your Holy Spirit upon us to give us peace, to remind us of how present you are in our lives. And Mother Mary, we ask that you may help us to ponder these works of God in our hearts and in our lives. As we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, Mary, Queen of the Apostles, pray for us. St. Paul the Apostle, pray for us. In the Father, Son, Holy, Holy Spirit, Spirit, Amen. amen. <clears throat> All right. All righty. Um, so why don't you just start from like, you know, where, where kind of like the movements and everything began. Mm-hmm. Well, um, just to begin, I'm originally born and raised in Kenya. So I was raised... Catholic. My mom was Anglican before she got married. Like my mom's side is Anglican, my dad's side is Catholic. So when she got married, my dad, she became Catholic, you know. And so uh, when they got married, they're about to celebrate their 50th anniversary this year. Uh, But back then, you know, when they got married, I guess they did come to that decision. They wanted to raise the kids Catholic. And so growing up, you know, my parents did make that effort to, you know, take us to Mass and mm. teach us, um, like each of us had our little prayer books and our Bibles. My mom made sure each of us had our Bibles. Um, I remember, you know, just like the prayer books, at least for my dad, um, you know, there's the usual Our Father, Hail Mary, Glory Be, you know, Angel of God. But then I remember at some point he got us a little prayer book that, you know, helped me to pray for things that are beyond those you know like pray for the world people who are Mm. suffering so you know the spontaneous type of prayers you know i remember vividly him kind of teaching us like that but in my home setting that that was kind of how we grew up we went to mass on sundays and then of course there was catechism that i went to so growing up i I did have that um faith formation Mm. you know as best as my parents could um i'm the oldest of three so i I have a brother who's two years younger than me and then my sister who's eight years younger than me. Um, both of them are married. My brother has um, two girls and three tripl- triplet boys, you know, so five, I have five 
three nieces, nephews. And then I have my sister who's just recently married. Um, she and her husband, they live in Kenya and my, my brother and his family live in St. Louis. And my parents are all back home. But, you know, we all keep in touch still. And, you know, thank God for, you know, WhatsApp and all that. You know, right. can use the technology to keep up. But nonetheless, growing up Catholic um, and just partaking of the sacraments, the point that I remember where things, you know, I, I, I participated in what they call um, Faida, um, girls group. It was like mm. we would learn how to, you know, uh, cook, uh, basic etiquette. But it was a Catholic organization for girls. It was run by the Opus Dei, which is a kind of a lay movement by St. Jose Maria Escriva. Um, just to, to teach us the way of holiness in, in everyday life. So it kind of was starting to teach me early on how to kind of incorporate God in in everyday life. And he's always there. We're just not fully aware how, right. you know. And so those I remember belonging to that club, which my mom heard from one of her friends, and she kind of began to take me there and kind of teach me um, kind of the ways of, of the Lord in that sense. Um, so that was kind of in, um, uh, in grade school. By the time I reached high school, um, I remember where I went to boarding school and that's where I really first experienced my first kind of test of faith, so to speak. Um, in boarding school, it's an all girls school from, from girls from all over the country. And so in the first, we have three terms. So the first term, you know, you get in, it's kind of always an awkward situation where you're like, oh, great, you know, who you going to make friends with and stuff like that. It's a little bit of a challenge. But by the second term, you know, we, I'd gotten to a Bible study and we were discussing the faith. I couldn't really recognize or answer some of the things about my Catholic faith. And to be quite honest, by the time it was the second term of school, I didn't want to be Catholic, you know. And wow. so by that time, you know, I decided I don't want to be Catholic. Um, I just want to, you know, go to another faith. And I did. All right. So I did. And then I, de I decided to come back home and ask my parents, you know what? Uh, not ask. Pretty much tell them by that right. time. <laughs> Mom, Dad, um, I don't want to be Catholic. Or at least I've decided to change my faith. And they sat me down and they, they gave me these words of wisdom that kind of resonated with me up until today. And they said, you know, you don't have to change your faith. You just have to go deeper, you know. Mm. And for me, as a confused 14-year-old at that point in time, you know, even though I had grown up Catholic and I couldn't quite defend some aspects of my faith, I needed to kind of own the faith for myself and in terms of why I believe what we believe and you know my parents did the best they could to kind of pass it on but it was almost like the tipping point for me and so I remember going back to the third term of school and and I, I almost had this sense I was looking up in the sky it was a night sky and I remember talking to the Lord and I said Lord I'm really confused I really need I need you to show me the way I need you, I need the truth you know and I remember having that heart-to-heart, -heart, you know, kind of sense of, God, if you're out there, could you kind of do something? Because I'm really right. confused. And I remember him sending some Jesuit seminarians who came to start teaching us our confirmation classes. And quite honestly, that's when I kind of started getting back on track. You know, by that time, of course, I'd left the faith. But it's in a sense, they came to start teaching me the faith. And so I, you know, I started going back to confirmation classes and 
I obviously, you know, got confirmed. I joined our rosary group, our Catholic groups, whatever they were, that, that would just kind of help me um, be a bit more steeped in my faith. All this time, there's nothing to do with religious life that was in the picture or discernment of wherever my life was going. You know, mm. I was just being a high school kid, you know. Right. And so as a high school kid, I remember being involved in basketball. I, you know, I was pretty athletic, you know. So there was a lot of training and tournaments over the weekend and doing this and that, you know. So th that was another part of my life. And like any high school kid, if you're involved in a lot of extracurricular activities, especially athletics, you know, you have to manage that and your grades, <laughs> which is a yes. big thing, you know. So for me, it's like it was a constant battle trying to kind of keep those grades up because mm -hmm. after school, every, you know, every day you're almost going out to the court to, you know, do your training, you know. And, you know, you're exhausted at night, you know, you're trying to do your homework, you know. So it was a constant battle. But remember the club that I had joined earlier in high school, I was able to those same Opus Dei women were able to come to our school and give us little moments of formation, if you may call it, in the faith of like how to balance, they called it a program of life. That's when they started introducing me to a program of life. Basically, you don't just attack your day, just whatever. Mm. <laughs> you know, you begin, you probably heard with, you know, a morning offering, you know, right. give the day to the Lord. And then, like, what time do you wake up? What time do you have breakfast? What time do you study? What time do you go to work? All this was kind of a program of life. And how does spiritual reading come in, going to Mass? They were kind of helping me have a balance. And I had a director who they, you know, I began to know at that point in time. And she was very instrumental to kind of walk with me now that I look back. Um, it's like Jesus kind of teaching me how to live the day in a spiritual way, you know. So how do I balance my, you know, training and participating with all of the basketball tournaments with my school and being diligent with school, plus all the clubs and associations that, of course, you're part of, right. you know, everything was kind of like, how do you, how do you live that to the full, you know? Mm. And so I remember the Lord sending her as a, a, a guide for me to kind of put that together. So I gave myself to just living that moment to the full, you know, and it was about the third, um, Let's see, that was high school. So I went through high school and then I graduated. And I remember reaching a plateau moment in my spiritual life. You know, when you're you're kind of feeling like, well, I go to confession and it's the same old, same old sins. You know, mm -hmm. I'm not kind of changing. I feel like I'm... And I remember while I was waiting to move from high school to college, there's usually a year there where we're waiting for the results to come out the national results so that you can be called to a university. You know, it's not automatically that you go to a private university or a public. Mm. That's the way the system is in Kenya. So at that point in time, I had some time, downtime, so to speak, in between. And I remember being at home and I was just kind of feeling like, Ugh, you know, I don't know where I'm growing in my spiritual. I don't think I'm growing. I'm not going anywhere, you know. And I remember praying and asking God, I don't even know what I asked, but the, the passage that came to mind was Isaiah 54, verse 8, which was, in itself, it said, I, I was angry with you for only a moment, but now I'll show you my love forever. And of course, looking at, you know, how I just crack open the Bible and you just kind of see that verse jump, jump out at me. I didn't know what that meant, but in a sense, it felt like there was something that was a new beginning for mm. me. And it sure was, because what happened after that, I ended up meeting some folks from my, what we call our small Christian community. 
um, who one of them told me about a retreat to go to. And this priest, he was a Vincentian priest who was giving these amazing retreats. They're kind of charismatic retreats. Mm. But basically, they were very, you know, teaching the faith and just helping people just get renewed and, you know, get back into the sacraments. Well, I ended end up attending this retreat, and it was phenomenal. You know, I can't tell you what I... First of all, I was having stomach problems before that. And so what happened was, after the retreat, I experienced physical healing. I wasn't having any of those. I could tell you the list of things the doctor would tell me that I can't eat, you know. Mm -hmm. There were probably nine, ten things. You know, like this, the real good stuff, like you can't do any ribs, you couldn't do any any barbecue <laughs> stuff, any tomato sauce, any citrus. I mean, there were like no tea or coffee. I mean, Oof. it was like your, your stuff had to be bland, basically. Right. Because it's just going to activate your stomach. But after that, I could. I could, you know, end up starting eating you know a little bit i was on meds actually mm. so when i was slowly kind of it's like the, the healing started happening gradually that i no longer needed this but also there was a spiritual renewal that ended up happening to me it's like mass came alive it's like adoration came alive it's like the the light switch for word reading the word of god kind of started coming alive and after that retreat, I got introduced to like these prayer meetings where we'd meet, you know, once a, once a week and they started the Life and Spirit Seminar, which, you know, they would end up teaching us like, now, you know, you got to start a routine of how to pray every day, you know. I didn't know all that, you know, so you start learning like, you know, read some scripture, you know, maybe pray the rosary. And so I started having a routine. And I remember one of the, one of the guys who was teaching, um, I, he was saying, you know, when you talk to God, he will talk back. And I was like, ooh, that's cool. You know, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> what would he say? And for me, it was like having prayer time would be a time of just kind of exploring this God who would talk back when I do talk to him. And so I would wake up pretty early. I'm usually a morning person, early morning. So I'd wake up pretty early, have my quiet time with the, with the Lord before I go to school. Now, by this time, I was starting to go to college, you know. Um, I did my undergrad in business, so uh, doing business, and, well, general business and then business administration. And so uh, the campus where it was is the Catholic University of Eastern Africa, you know, that I went to. And so they had mass every morning, you know, so I would, you know, wake up pretty early and then take public means of transportation and go to, to mass. And that kind of became my routine, you know, and then I began to have this relationship with the Lord, which was growing by just constantly being faithful to the sacraments. And then in the evening, I had one of our, the same lady, I think, who had introduced me to that retreat, um, would pick me up and would go for adoration. So she started <coughs> introducing me to adoration. I didn't know what adoration was, but it was a really pretty cool time in my own parish that we had like an hour of adoration exposition before the evening mass, you know. So I started, you know, getting to know, go to adoration, journaling, talking to Jesus. So it's like something was beginning to brew there, you know. So when I was in about my third year of college, I remember meeting two guys. We had gone to this workshop. I think it was a leadership workshop for the for the charismatic movement. And these two guys were music ministers in the far in the in this room, the far left corner. They had their, you know, musical instruments and they were introduced mm. to us as consecrated single folks. And I don't know why that consecrated single idea just stuck. And I think what was pretty cool for me was that 
these are guys who are dedicated to God. That sounds pretty cool. I don't know what it is, but it just mm. it just sat with me. And I said, well, that's pretty cool. Well, but it just stayed in there, and that's about it, you know. And I continued on with the workshop, and then... Uh, but then what happened was, after that, I got an opportunity. I graduated from college. I worked for about a year um, and then got an opportunity to come to the United States for further studies. So I came to do my master's. And so when I got to Illinois to do my um, uh, master's degree, there was also on our campus, there was a Newman Center that had a program that you could go to. They call it a kind of a retreat for about eight months. But we'd meet once a month, you know, and they started talking about just different things, God's love. Um, and then at some point, they ended up talking about religious life. And for some reason, as they were talking, that consecrated single thing popped back up <laughs> into mm. my head. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting. I wonder if being consecrated single means being religious. And again, I didn't grow up with sisters. I worked with them you know, for, on various fronts, but I never really looked into religious life. So I was coming into this green of green, you know. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, eight months pass and we do this, you know, thing we would meet once a month, have group sharing, have adoration, have talks, meet a spiritual director during the month. You know, they kind of, they were called the apostles of interior life. So they really helped you, their Italian community that just helps you kind of have that base of get your spiritual life in order. Um, Anyway, by the time it was eight months, I felt like God was saying, you know, just keep going on with your studies and I'll make a little bit clearer for you what your vocation is. But I was 23 at this point, 24, and I didn't even know anything to do with vocations, you know. So, but this was when it was starting to kind of form for me. And okay, I said, okay, I'll move on. And besides, I was enjoying my studies in human resources. So I felt like, okay, I'm going to apply to the doctoral program and I'll keep moving on. So I moved on and for about two years, I had the opportunity to just visit different communities, you know, and that's what the like Newman Center provided. If you're going to, I felt like if I was going to look at religious communities, I need to kind of start knowing what they are, what they do, you know, type thing. And I had my little sticky note of a list of things, you know, it's just like when you're dating someone, you're looking for da -da 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 -da, whatever, you know, for religious communities, I was like, you know, I had been introduced to adoration. I'd probably want to do some, you know, a community that, you know, is devoted to adoration. And, you know, there were a few things there. So I was like, okay. And that kind of narrowed down. There was a book I was introduced to called The Vision Magazine, which is, a, I think it's produced every year. It has all sorts of religious communities in the United States. Mm. Now, I will put a little caution. As I was moving forward here, it wasn't all smooth going for me. It's like, oh, yeah, I'll look and real. First of all, when the idea came, I was like, you're serious, Lord. This, I think you have the wrong person, you know, because I was like, first of all, I thought you called people when they're like two years old. You're kind of late, you know, so I was coming up with my own excuses. And then secondly, I'm in another country. You pulled me out of my own country to tell me about religious life. Where am I supposed to begin? He's like, no, I'll show you, you know. So I had all these kind of myths of mm. how you should be discerning and how you should come to know your calling, whatever that might be. In my mind of minds, this was not the track. <laughs> I think he just missed the point. So, but for me, it was like, okay, I'll try it out, but it's definitely not what I had in mind. 
but it was a pleasant surprise. Moving forward, again, we would visit all different communities. And as I was reading about different communities, I, I could see, well, I was drawn to the type of prayer that they do, but well, maybe not the type of ministry. Or well, I was drawn to the type of ministry, but definitely the prayer style is just not me, you know. So I was doing my research, and then when I came about two years down the line, I remember I'd meet with my spiritual director on campus every every month. And so one time when I, I, I there was um, this priest who was a chaplain at our campus, he was, he was from Tanzania, he was celebrating 25 years of ministry, and he had all these friends come over, you know, some from Tanzania, some from here. And one of them was a Franciscan mother superior of, of a congregation in Tanzania. So we just got chatting after the celebrations and she was, I was telling her my, you know, I've been thinking about religious life and, and somehow that's when she was teaching me almost like religious life 101. Did you know that there are different spiritualities? There's the nation, there's the Franciscan. And I'm like, there is. <laughs> <laughs> and then she's saying, oh, and there's, there's the diocesan ones, there's the pontifical ones that there are. Gosh, it's like almost everything was like, where do you begin in all this? It's kind right. of a daunting experience. But then she ended up asking me just one question. She said, have you looked into the daughters of St. Paul? And she said this in Swahili, and of course we speak Swahili and English. And I'm like, the who? <laughs> never heard of them. And she said it again in English, so I was like, nah, never heard of them, you know. And that's about where that landed. But then later on in my prayer, the daughters came back to mind. And I was like, huh, the daughters, let me see. So I went back to that vision magazine, which I've been looking at different communities. Boom, the daughters were there. So I was like, okay, I guess I better look them up. I looked up the website. And it was just amazing stuff of what I was already interested. You know, they had adoration every day, or at least a strong devotion to Jesus present in the Eucharist. And I was like, printed out stuff, went to my spiritual director, and he was like, this looks like something, you know, something's <laughs> brewing here. I was like, okay. So what happened is the sisters, and I ended up calling the sisters in Boston, which is our mother house. I lived in Illinois, so the closest house was Chicago. And so they said, you know, you might want to contact the sisters in Chicago because they're the ones closest to you and see if you can go up for a visit and stuff like that. So that's what happened. You know, I called, you know, the sister from Chicago called me and said, hey, guess what? We're celebrating 25 years of ministry. You want to come? You know, and it was just three hours away. And so three hours away, my friend and I got into a car and went up to Chicago and went to this celebration. Now, I will tell you when I was there, it's a big city, went in and we're smack in the middle of, you know, of the city. And I remember being, these were the terms for me, ridiculously peaceful there, you yeah. know. You know, it's like Moses and the burning bush. You know, it's like, why is this bush not burning? <laughs> why is it like ridiculously peaceful and quiet? in the heart of the busyness of a city. So there was something about that that was intriguing for me that was, there was a peace there that I couldn't understand. And it was almost like an invitation. It's like, hmm, maybe you should explore more what that's about. And it was so gentle. So I ended up going to St. Louis. They had a come and see retreat there. And then I ended up going to Boston, which ended up, they had a, a come and see Holy Week retreat, you know. And in that, I met, since my field is human resources, our sisters work with kind of like the business side of stuff. 
So we have a human resources department and a director who say, hey, you want to come and do an intern? You know, <laughs> it's like, that's pretty cool, you know. So why do you come for three months? I was like, I don't know if I can do the whole three months because I'm you know, still going to school. But we kind of negotiated and said, why don't you do five weeks? Come live in with us. You'll get to know more about our life, but then you also get your internship and you'll be paid. Well, I was like, this is pretty cool. You know, right. <laughs> you yeah, know? Definitely. so I got all the experiences in there and it was just an amazing moment for me to just get to know about our sisters and the heart of our mission. And so I just journeyed and I felt like I was asking the Lord in all this. I didn't feel like God was saying, drop everything and go join a convent. Besides, as I said, I had no clue what convents were or religious sisters were. I was just kind of going in the flow and saying, what is he opening up? And I'm just going. So for me, it was coming to that point. It's like, okay, it seems like he's doing something here. I don't know what, you know. But the clincher, I'd say for me, especially when it comes to the Daughters of St. Paul and our mission, is our campus was going through ethics training. You know, the whole campus, we were merging three campuses, Springfield, Chicago, Champaign. And they were going through this whole process of everyone going through training and, and especially ethics training. Anyway, everybody had to do this training, and we all know this stuff. You go click all this stuff in your computer. You're not supposed to do this. You know, nah, everybody knows this stuff. So it's like, okay, not supposed to take a bride. You know, check. You know, supposed to. You know, clocking on time. You know, everybody knows. So anyway, we do that the first year. Print out your certificate. Put it up in your cubicle. Da, yeah. The second year, you come around and said, folks, everybody's got to do this. It's like, oh man, you know, it's like another inconvenience. But for me, being in human resources, especially I was studying how to help employees become the best that they can be in the workplace, it kind of like, I felt like a light bulb went for me. It's like the fact that people do ethics training does not mean they're ethical. You know, we all know the stuff we need to do. The question is, how do you move from just knowing the stuff to actually doing it? And that's when I discovered our mission is really to help people encounter Christ. Once you encounter God, like there's such a there's a right ordering of life, like mm. like lenses. It's like it's like Saint Paul, you know, the light bulb goes on. It's like I can't treat people like that, or I know what I'm supposed to do, whether my boss is looking at me or not. That doesn't matter. I know what I'm supposed to do, and I want to mm. do it. You know, like you do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Right. You know, and I was like. I hit the jackpot. Hmm. This is where I want to spend the rest of my life. Helping people just in, have that encounter with God. Because once you have it, you'll be the best parent that you can be. You can be the best employee. I mean, no one needs to tell you that. <laughs> You're already accountable to God. you know. And I think that's what did it for me. It's like, it just gave me that nudge to give my life to God. So anyway, in a nutshell, I joined the sisters after I graduated. You know. And I started my formation um, as a postulant. We start off with two years. Um, it's like becoming baby nuns. <laughs> Good to learn mm -hmm. how to become a nun from inside. So you learn how to pray, how to work in the mission. Yeah. So do you, when you be, take that first um, little <laughs> baby vow, like you yeah. said, do you take any like vows with that? Oh, no. It's baby steps in the sense you don't take vows right away. Okay. In the postulancy, you just learn to live with the sisters because before i was visiting the sisters from mm. outside but now i'm actually living with them gotcha. and so i'm kind of still checking them out and learning like 
what do they wake up when do they sleep what do they work on how do they pray you know how what do they study so i'm inside the community but i'm still kind of checking them out so the first two years after that you go into what you call the novitiate in the novitiate it's another two years where you really study the vows you know mm. of poverty chastity and obedience and you study what you call the constitutions which is the rule of life Every religious community that's approved in the Catholic Church has a particular charism, basically a gift of the Holy Spirit that's been recognized as a gift and when lived to the full can be a path to holiness. So for us as daughters of St. Paul, the gift that was given to our founder, Blessed Alberione, is to use media to evangelize and speak and preach the gospel. And in that, we dedicate our lives through poverty, chastity, and obedience to the spreading of the gospel using the modern means. But you need to know how is that fleshed out on a daily basis? How do we pray? How do we carry out our mission? So that's what's in the constitutions, and you study that as a novice. And then when you feel you and your form readers come to that point, you're like, I think this is what God is calling you to, then you make the vows. But you can't make vows if you don't know what you're vowing yourself to. That's why you study right. them in the first place. Yeah. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So, um, like, living in that daily life, what did that look like? Mm-hmm. Well, at the time or now? <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess, like, maybe, like, in each separate, like, right. for the, um, the different you... vows and all. Or okay. not vows, but... The, the different stages. Right, different yeah. stages. Well, let... okay, so when you first... When I first came in, it's kind of overwhelming because you're coming from your secular way of thinking and um, your own habits, your own kind of lifestyle. Because Mm -hmm. at that time, I lived on my own. I actually lived with my brother. We were both going to campus together. You know, had our apartment, car, you know, all that stuff. So you kind of have an independent way of thinking. So coming into community is, in a sense, kind of giving up, but for a greater cause. Um, of learning how to live in a community setting where I'm not the one calling the shots <laughs> all mm. the time. But it's not doesn't have to be a bad thing, but it's actually seeing how God works in the one he's calling the shots for us within our superiors, within our living together in community. So that's one aspect. The other thing is um, being able to learn to be faithful to, to prayer, you know, on a more kind of serious basis you mm. <laughs> can't be a nun and you're not praying that would not be a good <laughs> idea you know but you because our life is a spiritual life you know and it's meant to appoint to a spiritual reality so how do you become more like jesus if you're not praying so like learning how how to make like half hour of meditation because that's when you know how to you know engage the scriptures and then being faithful to the sacraments you know hours of adoration Uh, scriptural reading even study of the teachings of the church you know so you're kind of introduced into that and it it did take a shifting in mindset you know as I was coming in Um, the first year was the hardest just because you're kind of like whoa what just hit me and you know that's like any transition it's like I don't know I'm trying by the second year I always tell my sisters by the second year I kind of got like whoa at least I think I know what's going on (laughs) right (laughs) Because I could begin to really assimilate with some mm. of the things I was learning. The first year is rightfully so. It's a transition, a big one, you know, from lay life into religious life. And then by that, the second time. And then, of course, going into the novitiate. Novitiate is more like a, it's like living a monk type 
two years where you're really call it a, there's a canon, canonical year where you don't really go visit your family but you're really focused on intense study and preparation for the vows so that is a different kind of a feel in itself where you feel you're doing a lot of introspection a lot of reflection a lot of internalizing of what these vows mean so is a lot of of your interior journey that's happening in view of do you feel called to the vows to really mm. live the vows you know and what are the vows you know i can think what the vows and many many times you think oh you think chastity means i don't get married yes but there's more to chastity why don't have sex with other that yes but there's a whole other aspect about being chaste right. of giving love of you know or poverty means that i you know i live with destitute and look at my you know it's it's not that at all you mm. know the the model of our poverty chastity and obedience is christ himself so and you kind of need to enter into that mindset of what does it mean to be poor chaste and obedient just like christ and so that's what's happening at that point it's kind of being stripped away of what you think you're mm. what it is to live religious life now when you go into after you make you you do your novitiate you make the vows right poverty chastity obedience and you renew those vows every year for 5 or 6 years before you make final vows during that what we call temporary vows or juniorate or juniors you're learning how to integrate the vows in everyday life in the mission in your relationships with others basically you're trying to see is this can i live this forever you know and the church allows you from the time you begin to about the final profession about 9 or 10 years to kind of see if this is where the lord is calling me to make my forever yes and it is perfectly okay during that time to say oh no this is not what is calling me and that's why you see some women during that time they leave religious life and it's not like they failed but they discerned that is not where god is calling them to really love to the fullest and that's okay so for for me that was I remember reaching a point of like a stark awareness because you have an ideal of what religious life is or you think oh they pray all the time they're all so good to one another <laughs> I mean we should be we are you know we try the best <laughs> but like anything we're all human you know right. and I remember coming to a point like the lord was asking well what did you expect a perfect you know you know mm. life that it's like almost like when you get married it's like you love your your husband or wife and you cannot see anything wrong or cannot see anything until you start going like why does he push the toothpaste in the other direction or doesn't put the stuff in the or why does she you know when that right. and then you's like you realize you know we're all different but it doesn't make us you know any different you know but you kind of have to grow into maturity in mm. terms of and i think for me that was what was happening in the junior it in as i was living these vows it's like the lord helped me have that light it's like well, what do you expect they're all human just like you are you know we all are not perfect but we're all striving to live and it kind of helped me just shed off sometimes the idealism that you keep i keep holding off to the holding the other person to the point i can't just accept them for who they are mm. but it took a journey of you know and then towards so of course i would, i was living this for 5 or 6 years and then usually for us all daughters of saint paul around the world go to rome to prepare for our final vows as a course we you know visit our holy sites learn the constitutions again right 
and kind of get all the stuff about our community and our life before you say, well, do you want to live this forever? You know, the good, the bad, and the ugly, you know. Mm. So it's like the church, you know, it's not a perfect, it's, it's a sacred because it's Christ who's the head, but it's also human, you know. So you could say, are the teachings of the church wrong? No, they're not because they're from Christ. But are the people, oh yeah, you know, people just screw up all the time, you know, <laughs> it's like, it's part of being human. But it doesn't negate the institution mm. that Christ himself. So it was almost like for me, learning and seeing this is the gift of the Holy Spirit given to the daughters a hundred years ago. And we're still going. Whether people are feeling perfect or do it perfectly or not, it's like there's something solid here. You know, I can stake my life mm. on this because the one who's founded the congregation, who's given the gift of the Holy Spirit, and to live it in all these hundred years and forever is God himself. And it's like, I think I could do that. You know, so I think for me in 2019 is when I was able to have that gift of making my final vows. And up until that time, and I remember at my final vows, one of the things, two things struck me. One is the faithfulness of God and patience with me. As I said, I did not know this. Ask me 15, 20 years ago if this is where I was headed. Not in the least, (laughs) you know, like anyone you're kind of trying to figure out what career or if you're going to be married, what kind of person you're going to be married. All that, it was part of my journey. But I was pleasantly surprised when he brought in the idea of religious life. And so suddenly, you know, it almost like he had to be very patient with me to help me get it because Mm -hmm. I wasn't getting it. And putting people along the way to help me explain what it was. And I look back and I look back, especially when I was at the, my uh, final vows, I remember, remember when I was 14 years old, I was having a crisis of faith. Mm. Do you know the, the seminary, one of the seminarians he brought to me to teach me my confirmation classes became a priest and he was at my final vows. Wow. And for me, it's like the Lord was saying, you know that prayer you asked when you were 14 years old? I answered it. And obviously, I wouldn't be a Catholic today or a Catholic sister, for that matter, if the Lord didn't answer that prayer. So whatever moment of crisis we all have, and we all will face those, that honest conversation with God, he will send people. He will put, his best interest is to keep us united with him, you know. And the second thing that blew my mind away is my grandmother, my my paternal grandmother, um, wanted to become a sister. I never knew that. I'm here sauntering and trying to figure out my life of where I'm going. After my first vows, we go back home and we have this mass of Thanksgiving. And so in the midst of the gathering, grandma says, I have something to say. And we're like, yes, grandma, what do you want to say? And she goes into saying her story. And she says, when I was a young woman, I wanted to become a sister. So I went to my parish priest and asked if I could become a sister. And back back then, you know, she was the only girl taking care of her parents and they were like I don't think you the Lord might not be calling you to be a sister maybe he's calling to family and so she embraced the will of God as called to be married and she married and she had like eight kids my my dad is the, the firstborn and of course he married but she was saying the Lord did not answer that prayer in any of my children he answered it in my grandchildren and you're it now, I'm looking at her, I'm like, I'm what? Because <laughs> I'm like, I was not anywhere thinking that I was an answer to anyone's prayer. I was just kind of 
busy trying to figure out where's my life going, you know. And so at my final vows, my grandma, who was 94 years old, was so excited to be part of that final vows ceremony. Because again, it was a testimony of God's faithfulness that he had answered her prayer in a way that she didn't think, you know, he would answer it. And that's what she had told, she had told us at that time, 70 years, 70 years later, he answered that prayer. Mm. It means that God never forgets. Whatever we ask him, he never forgets. Those desires of our hearts that we place into his hand or in his heart, he never forgets. And he always has the best solution, even though we don't know what it is. And I think for me, that's what blew my mind away. It's like, God is faithful, period. Whether we understand what is going on or not. And our lives are not just for us. We might think, oh, my vocation is for me to figure out what I should do with my life. It's not just about you. What I've come to discover is my vocation is bigger than me. It's Mm. plugging into God's plan who he already has people he wants to bless and to bring closer to him through my life. And other people are that for me. So it's not just about me and doing my nice little gig, which you would think by, oh, I'll live my life, do my career, you know, whatever. It's like it opened me to see, my goodness, our lives are so intertwined. And how he plans and blesses each other from others to me and me to others, it's amazing. I would never, ever have envisioned this for myself. But I would say it's the greatest gift ever, greatest adventure ever. That's really good. Yeah. That's really good. Um, Just one more question. Mm -hmm. So um, the Daughters of St. Paul do a lot of evangelizing, Mm -hmm. right? You guys work with the media a lot. So, Mm -hmm. like, um, how does, like, evangelizing daily, like, what does that look like? Mm -hmm. It really looks like, like, for me, our, our main mission, like, here in Metairie, we have a bookstore, right? So we open the store every day from 10 to 5.30, Saturdays 10 to 5. But the bookstore is not just a retail store. It's a place of encounter. The way our founder envisioned it, it's a place, a center of warmth and light. When people come in, they're usually, or call in, they're usually desiring to draw closer to God by seeking understanding about something that's going on in their lives. Could be... You know, someone just died, they need something on grief, or they just want to grow more in their faith. I need a Bible or something to read every day. You know, usually people are coming with some need that's kind of in their heart. And that's the Holy Spirit already working on and has been working in their lives by the time they walk through that door. So when they come in, by virtue of our ministry and life, we're there to kind of point them to Jesus, Mm. whether it is by listening to them and kind of, seeing what is the Holy Spirit inspiring to give them, whether it's a book. It could be not even a book. It could be maybe just visit the chapel, which has the Blessed Sacrament, and Jesus is there, or inviting them to Mass. Or it could be just a conversation, just to kind of listen to them. Or it could be praying with them, you know. Whatever it is, entering into that sacred space or encountering whoever we encounter in the book center, or whether I'm at a gas station, doesn't matter, or in the grocery. People stop us everywhere, you know, and tell us their whole life story. I can just say, I just don't give you an absolution because I'm not a priest. But I will listen, you know, and pray with them. But they see us as spiritual mothers, which we are. 
because we are there to kind of continually point them to a deeper encounter with Christ. That's what our everyday looks like. Being attentive and collaborating with the Holy Spirit, with the Lord, who is in us, whispering to us, working to us through our words, through our actions, so that whoever we encounter, they have a deeper encounter with Christ. You know, so it takes various forms. Now that's in person. When you go online, it's the other, the same thing too. Whatever we post, you know, in our chapel we have beautiful words which were given to our founder when we were earlier on. He had a moment where he had this dream and these words came to him. Do not be afraid I am with you. From here I want to enlighten, atone for sin. So he's like, I don't know what to do with these words, you know, and he goes to his spiritual director and his director says, well, whether they're words from the Lord or they're not, they're a pretty good program of life just there. <laughs> you might use them for your whole Pauline family that you're thinking of. So in all our chapels around the world, we have those words right by the tabernacle. Do not be afraid, I am with you. And those are the words of Jesus to our founder saying, don't be afraid. This is a daunting mission. If you think about the world of media, it feels like we're barely even scratching the surface, you know. A podcast like this, you don't even know who's going to listen to it, you know? <laughs> but that's irrelevant because of right. who it is who we're doing it with. Mm. This is God himself. He has power infinitum, you know? He can just say the word and it will reach whoever it needs to reach. The question is, if we're faithful, he said, that's it. I am with you. I, God of the universe, <laughs> can make this bear fruit in a way you would never know. Don't be afraid, you know. And so that gives us that sense of sometimes you feel like you're barely making a drop in the ocean when you think of all the bad media and all the stuff that's going on. We're sowing the good seeds. We're, we're using the good press to combat the bad press. Mm -hmm. We're in a spiritual warfare of sorts. And however little it seems like we're doing, we're on God's side who can make this be multiplied infinitely. So... He says, do not be afraid, I'm with you. And then it, he also told Alberioni, Alberioni uh, uh, from here I want to enlighten. Now from here is the tabernacle, the Eucharist. Spend time with Jesus in the Eucharist. And that's what he was telling us. Don't go and seek answers out there of what you're going to tell people. Come and spend time with me. I will tell you what you need. To. So any of our books, any form of apostolate or mission that we carry out, begins with our time present before the Lord in the Eucharist. Because that's where we learn, Jesus, what do you want to tell your people? What do you want us to write? How do you want us to illustrate? What do you want us to post? What do you want us to sing? What do you want us to review? All that comes from spending time with the Lord. And then the last part when he says, atone for sin, make reparation. How many people are being drawn away from the love of God because of bad media? If we can make reparation by our very lives of producing good media, producing good content that will help make reparation, bring one more soul back to Jesus by pro proclaiming the truth. You know, when people read and think the church thinks in a certain way, which is erroneous, we present the church's teaching and its authenticity so that they can see the truth know it and embrace it and that already dispels them from mm -hmm. you know running away from the lord and draws them back to them. so that's the sense of atonement of course by living of our daily lives of our prayer our sacrifices but by our very mission and existence 
we're really kind of participating in the salvation of souls. It's it's so beautiful to like hear you speak with such passion about it, and mm-hmm. um, I'm so grateful that we were able to meet today and yeah. just like have you share your story. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that you can think of? Well, all I would say is, um, especially just as a concluding remark, is really each of our lives are sacred. You know, and I think in our times, especially with social media, it's so easy to compare our life with someone else's. But God didn't make photocopies. <laughs> We're all unique yeah. and purposely so because each one of us is meant to reflect the glory of God. And if you think about go back to your own story, you know, I'm convinced just by looking at mine, how sacred even the things which I didn't think were anything. I look back and see each experience each encounter if you just look even at a particular day the people you meet the ex- the the experiences you have they're never alike they're never alike and it's because god has purposely planned each encounter for each day you know that's what he delights in you know and that's meant to tell a story to other people and say god is real he's not just mm-hmm. some person out there hopefully you get to get in touch with him. he's so involved in every intricate detail of our lives but we need to plug into that reflective piece and see that our life by virtue of our very existence is sacred and that becomes a witness for others you know to encourage them you don't have to try and be like someone else try and be like jesus <laughs> he's god but be the best that you can be i think matthew kelly said be the best version of yourself you know that's what but it's that whole issue of saints are people who lived the best of who they God called them to be. Now you're not you can imitate a saint by different virtues, but you cannot be trying to be that saint. You have to be your own saint the way mm-hmm. the Lord created you to be. Which means plug into God and ask him, Well, you created me with the gifts that I have. What do you call me to how do you call me to live this? You know, to the full. To love you, as it says in the catechism, love you, serve you, not only on this earth, and then eventually, I come and love, love, serve you forever in heaven, you know. So, our lives are sacred. Thank you so much. Um, I'm just going to ask that you close this in prayer. Sure, we'll do. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Jesus, we thank you for coming into our lives, for making a difference in us. Help us to know the ways, the beautiful ways that you're working in our lives, even those areas that we're not sure what to make sense of. Help us to recognize your hand, your shepherding hand in our hearts and in our lives. And give us the courage to carry out that purpose for which you created us so that we can glorify you, we can glorify the Father, we can glorify you, O Holy Spirit. We thank you and we praise you for what you have done for what you are doing and for what you're about to do in our lives. Protect us from all the power of the evil one. And we ask you, Mother Mary, to help us to do whatever he tells us. And we ask all this, praying again, asking our Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Paul the Apostle, pray for us. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. I just want to thank you one last time. Mm -hmm. And um, 
I just ask that God continues to help you live out your vocation. Thank you, and to you too. Thank you, Ben. God bless you. Thank you. Mm -hmm.